From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Say what you want, Bernie Sanders. You'll never take down this billionaire. (laughs) Bill Curtis. And here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. It's that time of the year when everybody goes, wait a minute, summer's almost over, and then they all run around like maniacs trying to pack as much fun as they can into the short time remaining. That's what we're doing in this hour. We're packing in so many memorable moments and great conversations that... Well, by the time we're done, you'll be ready to go back to work just to get a break from all the joy. (laughs) First up, when I was growing up, I loved Jacques Cousteau, the famous ocean explorer. Now, so did Fabien Cousteau, which makes more sense because Jacques was his father. When Fabien Cousteau joined us in June of last year, Peter asked him how he was introduced to the undersea world. Well, at, uh, on my fourth birthday, uh, it, it, it's slightly different. I actually went to the bottom of the pool with a family friend who was uh, reading the newspaper while I was buddy breathing with him. So buddy breathing is when you're sort of sharing one respirator back and forth, right? That and, is correct. And he's reading a newspaper at the bottom of a pool? Yeah, yeah, I guess he was bored. There's not yeah. much to see at the bottom of the pool. We didn't throw any fish in there. I understand. <laughs> so, but And did you always want to go into what I guess is the family business in the Costo family? Um, I, I, I was actually uh, never pressured to be in the family business. I was always encouraged to forge my own path, but it, the path always ended up turning back uh, towards what we do as a family. Yeah, that's funny. I'm just going to say this because I grew up watching your grandfather's TV show, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau. And uh, I mean, to me, what I remember as much as the film of the fish and the Calypso is your father's, your grandfather's, excuse me, amazing French accent. But of course. Yes. Oh, there it is. So diving into the whiny deep. I know. That's the problem. I mean, literally, I'm talking to you, and I can tell that if you do not speak in a really elaborate French accent, I will not take you seriously. As a <laughs> A mermaid stole it one time when I was seven. (laughs) Uh, Now, your specialty is sharks, right? Uh, I saw a film of you diving with sharks inside, well, I don't know how to describe it. It's a big artificial shark you hide in. A a shark-shaped submersible, yes. Uh, I'd always wanted to approach great white sharks in a different way than uh, the ugly bubbling creatures in the cage throwing chum at, at these wild animals. Um, the, the best way to go and learn a little bit more about them is to become a shark. So uh, that became reality in, uh, in 2006, 2007, where I built a shark-shaped submersible. Little did I know that doing such a thing uh, was more challenging, and I ended up on the bottom more than I did with the sharks. Really? So it, it would just, like, you'd go down there, and you'd be like, <laughs> hello, fellow sharks, and you just continue to sink right down, <laughs> and the sharks would be like, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Well, you know, it was it was meant to be a, a polymorphic shark where you could do male and female. Unfortunately, it got so complicated, we left the male parts behind. And uh, as a female shark, I was hoping that, hey, maybe this is going to attract a, a, a shark a and we'll have you mating behavior here. You know, that? first human to do that. <laughs> you so were, wait, you <laughs> had like a... You had female shark parts on this, this immersible? Submersible. And, <laughs> the submersible, and then you had male... Shark parts, but they were detachable. Uh, they were detached. That's right. The male parts were detachable. You know, hey, you know, male sharks have two penises or claspers, so they're lucky. Uh, unfortunately, uh, 
not sure I would yeah. consider yeah. that yeah. lucky. Yeah. I'd say that's minus really. two points. It's, it's twice oh. the maintenance fee. It's terrible. <laughs> Wait, I, I do have well, one more question. Yeah. Which is, um, how accurate was Finding Nemo? <laughs> In my child's heart, very. Yeah. <laughs> well, Fabian Cousteau, it is a pleasure to talk to you. We could talk to you all day about the ocean, but we have, in fact, asked you to play a game with us, and this time we're calling it... Man, just get cool with the flow of the jam, man. <laughs> so you know a lot of fish, personally. But what do you know about the band, Fish? <laughs> we're going to ask you three questions about the legendary... Vermont band that even some Grateful Dead fans find a little too meandering. <laughs> Answer two out of these three questions right. You win our prize. One of our listeners, the voice of anyone they might like on our show on their voicemail. Bill, who is Fabian Cousteau playing for? Robert Loving of Los Angeles, California. All right. You ready to do this? Uh, let's go for All it. All right. Here's your first question. How Fish got its name? It's P-H-I-S-H, by the way, Fish. How Fish got its name has been a subject of interest for f their fans for decades. Which of these is a possible explanation from a fan quoted in Newsweek? A, that's what band leader Trey Anastasio says instead of cursing, oh, fish! B, it's an acronym meaning psychedelic hypnotic instrumental sounds are happening. <laughs> or C, it's a take on the sound that comes out when you're filling a balloon to do nitrous oxide at a party in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love C. Wow. I, I, I won't say that I've done that before, but <clears throat> I did go to college. <laughs> uh, uh, good question. Um, B. You're going to lean toward the, the, the acronym meaning psychedelic hypnotic instrumental sounds are happening? Um, I, I'm guessing that. No, it was actually the nitrous oxide. Oh, it wasn't really? It was instinct, man. Yeah, well, that's at least the rumor. They've never come out and said, but... <laughs> But that was what the... Ha having I should have gone with my gut. Actually, <laughs> while researching this, I actually listened to a lot of fish music, and I'm guessing it was the nitrous oxide. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, next question, Fabian. Lead singer Trey Anastasio was expelled from the University of Vermont for a prank that he has never described in public. But according to fish fans, it was one of these. A, stealing a human heart and hand from a biology lab and sending them to a friend with a note, heard you could use a hand. <laughs> B, getting the gig, playing the Star Spangled Banner at a UV football game and keeping it going for 18 minutes. Oh or C, pot brownies at a dean's reception. Um, geez. Um, I, you know, if, if, if I were in his shoes, I would have done the sick, twisted humor of the, uh, of the hand A. Well, the, you're right. That's what he did, according wow. to established stories. <laughs> Now, last question. If you get this right, you win. Fish has a fair amount of celebrity fans, including which of these? A, Morning Edition host Steve Inskeep, who says he starts every day at 3 a.m. with, quote, a spliff in my fish bootlegs, unquote. <laughs> B, the musician Rob Zombie, who says he plays fish music to, quote, go to my happy place. Or C, actor Abe Vigoda, who played Detective Fish on the old Barney Miller TV show who once joined the band on stage dressed as a wombat when he was 92 years old. Uh, um, well, it's definitely not C. Uh, I'm going to go with B on that one. Let uh, me ask you a question. Yeah. Why do you think it's definitely not C? What was your reasoning? <laughs> well, 92, well, you, you never know. 
Well, I mean, if it's not true, some, somebody had to make that up. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all want you to go into the sea. All right, let's go with the C. You're right. Yes, it was the After Age of Dota. Wow. They did this at one of their famous Halloween concerts where they like to right. do various funny things. I'm actually friends with Rob Zombie. Are you? Yeah, and uh, he directed one of my stand-up specials, and I can tell you for a fact, he has no happy place. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Zombie went from directing House of a Thousand Corpses to your stand-up special? <laughs> and I killed. <laughs> Bill, how did Fabian Cousteau do in our quiz? Fabian did well out of the water as well as in the water. He got two out of three, and that's a win. Congratulations, Fabian. <laughs> Thank you all. Hey, Fabian. Look, if somebody wanted to know more about what you do down there, how would they find out? I'll go to uh, FabianCousteau.com. That's yeah. the easiest way, or follow me on social media. There you go. Fabian Cousteau is an aquanaut, an oceanographer, and the founder of the Fabian Cousteau Ocean Learning Center. Fabian Cousteau, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on What They Can Tell Me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. This summer's been pretty full. So full, in fact, that we had to edit out part of it. Here's a question we asked Roy Blunt Jr. a couple of months ago that we didn't have time to broadcast. Roy, we've had an intense tornado season, but so far, uh, meteorological technology has allowed people to be warned in time. One problem, though, residents of tornado-prone areas are complaining that the tornado warnings are doing what? Scaring the chickens. No. <laughs> Scaring the uh, cows, huh? No. Hmm. Give me it's not scaring any livestock at all. <laughs> I had a lot, several other livestock. <laughs> <laughs> the tornado warnings are interfering with Rush Limbaugh. You're, you're so close, I'm going to give it to you. They're interrupting their TV shows. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It started a couple of weeks ago when a station in Ohio interrupted The Bachelorette to warn people to, for God's mm. sake, take cover. <laughs> and countless people contacted the TV station, not to thank them for saving their lives, but to tell them to stop with the warnings until we find out which of these identical asshats is going home with her. <laughs> also, my TV is flying away. Can you do anything about that? <laughs> but Here's the question, was that done in the middle of a rose ceremony? I mean... Yeah, I know. <laughs> let's get real. You know, you're holding five roses and there's six of them. Like, uh, do not give me the weather report, okay? <laughs> By the way, if you're wondering why there's so many tornadoes, a guy called into a Pennsylvania weather station and he had the, he, he had the solution. It's because of all the roundabouts, the traffic circles. <laughs> <laughs> he pointed out, you have all of a sudden, you got all these new roundabouts. You have all these cars going in circles. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. swirls the air. I agree. And you yeah. have tornadoes. I hate those things. Right? Yeah. 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 So just next time you see a roundabout, save the country, drive straight <laughs> to the <laughs> When we come back, the Beastie Boys and the very fierce girl, Lindy West. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR.
Support for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and the following message comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Imagine how it feels to have an award-winning team of mortgage experts make the home buying process smoother for you. With a history of industry-leading online lending technology, Rocket Mortgage is changing the game. Visit rocketmortgage.com wait. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. MNLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Push button. Get mortgage. Let's play some games, everybody. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Are you looking for the answer to life's funnier questions? Zamboni? That is correct. Every week, we blend comedy plus a special celebrity interview. Jim Gaffigan. I've always done acting. I just have never gotten roles. Listen and tell your friends. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago... This is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. So, so we're trying to cram in as much fun as we can in the last moments of summer. Time is short, so I recommend listening to this while playing beach volleyball while ziplining at a music festival. <laughs> Multitask, people. Earlier this year, Hulu released a show called Shrill, based on the memoir by Seattle journalist Lindy West. We interviewed Ms. West herself in Seattle in December 2017. So you grew up here in Seattle. You're an actual Seattleite. Yes, born and raised. My parents and I all went to the same high school. Not at the same time. No, that would have been weird. (laughs) I was reading your book Shrill, which is a great book, hilariously funny. And uh, you were a very different person growing up than you are now. Yes, uh, I was very shy and um, weird, and I just wanted to hide uh, it sort of under a blanket and never talk to anyone. Uh, Like in the book, you know, when I was eight or something, I just peed in my chair because I was afraid to ask the teacher if I could go to the bathroom. Mm. And it wasn't like the first day of school. It was like I'd been there for months, and she was really nice. Let's just put this briefly. You're not like that anymore. No. You you, you have this chapter in your book about going to a menstruation festival, which is truly one of the great things ever. Yeah, it was to the the red tent uh, moon ceremony. Yeah. Um, It was just it was just a bunch of ladies sitting in a. Fake tent. It wasn't in really a real. Like, they made a pillow fort essentially inside a community center. Yeah. And then we sat on the floor and like ate Hershey bars. Ah, oh, that sounds fun. I know. I would do that. I yeah. Would do that. that would be great. I mean, you know. No, you're not welcome. This yeah. is our thing. Damn it. <laughs> um, you wrote here in Seattle for The Stranger, and you wrote for Jezebel, the feminist website. And uh, you've written for, you've wrote your book, and now you write for the New York Times. Yeah. What is that like? Do you have to like wear a tweed jacket with patches? Yep. What do you have to do? Yeah. Um, the failing New York Times. The failing New York Times. Failing New York Times, yes. <laughs> it is uh, terrifying. <laughs> so I built my personal brand um, <laughs> on like all caps and like farts and ho- just horrible vulgarity. And I can't do any of that <laughs> at all. Oh, I know. Did they, did they, when, they, when they brought you in, they said, Lindy, we admire you. We think you're interesting. We want to bring your voice to the Times. But there's a few rules around here. <laughs> they didn't even give me that talk. I think they were like, come on, you know. It's, you have to have dignity, right. uh, you know? And 
dignity. I know. Do you find, because you, of course, famously were trolled a lot on Twitter. You engaged one of your trolls in a great This American Life story in, in the chapter in your book. But do you find that the trolling that you get from the New York Times is different? <laughs> is, it, is it more sophisticated? Uh, yeah. The, what I get from the New York Times is like, well, I don't delve into the comments. Um, but I do get like 10,000 word emails from you know, um, 70 year old men explaining to me. Oh God, it's my father, isn't uh, yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. It'll be like, here's a few things you need to know about women's lib. Yeah, like I. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's actually very charming in a way. Um, it's instead of like a thousand tweets a day, I get like once a week, I get a couple. Um, just tedious emails. Yes. It's a different life. It's a new world for me. <laughs> I am reborn. I know. <laughs> Tedium instead of like vicious misogyny. Yeah. yeah it's guess it's better. Yeah. Well, Lindy West, it is a personal pleasure for me to meet you because I'm such a fan. But we've in fact asked you here to play a game we're calling Jesus Christ. So. <laughs> 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 you are Lindy West. Ah, I see where this is going. We're going to ask you about your probable yeah. relative, Kanye West. Yes. So we saw that coming. Answer two questions correctly about the man who gets to wake up to Kim Kardashian most every day, and you win a prize one of our listeners, the voice of their favorite wait, wait person on their voicemail. Bill, who is Lindy West playing for? Carrie Lapina of Everett, Washington. Now, we were looking into this, and I actually found a column that you wrote, I think, for Jezebel about Kanye West. Oh, God. Whatever. I, okay. <laughs> we were wondering when we were coming up with this, we're like, what, maybe you're a huge fan, and you'd, like, know all this stuff and correct us. No. No. I mean, I, I, I really actually do love Kanye quite a bit, but I, I wouldn't say that I know things. All right. <laughs> about anything. Well, we'll find out. Here's your first question. Okay. So Kanye West is a huge international star, global, global fan base, uh, fans across the globe. In Beijing, his fans call him Kanye which is obvious, but it just so happens that in the Beijing dialect of Chinese, Kanye means what? A, quote, guy who steals your noodles with his chopstick. <laughs> B, quote, someone who brags a lot with no actions to follow it up. <laughs> or C, quote, essentially TMI. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with C? C, TMI? Yeah. No, it was actually B. Kanye is an idiomatic phrase, meaning someone who brags a lot with wow. nothing to back at all. That's, like That's so, so on the nose. I, so, 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 I was like, I, it can't be that one. What did it mean before Kanye? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you still have two more chances here. Okay. In 2008, I'm... Kanye went to jail briefly for destroying a paparazzo's camera. Who did he call with his classic one phone call? A. John McCain, mistakenly thinking he, he had been elected president and might be able to help him. B, the paparazzo himself, asking him if he had gotten a good photo of him coming for the camera. Or C, he used his one phone call to order Chinese food delivery to the jail. Um, I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B? He called the, 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 he called the paparazzo, to who's, who he had just attacked. C, is it C? Like I C. really want you to win the thing. Everyone seems to be yelling at me. 
Okay. Again, not something you're not used to. I know, so. it's true. Uh, I, I feel nothing. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're emotionally numb to it doesn't mean you won't listen. Okay, I listen. I will go see you're the You're going to see and you're right. In fact, the audience <laughs> Why not? All right. Here's the last question. If you get it right, you win everything. Everything there is to win, you will win if you get this right. And if she gets it wrong? Terrible things. <laughs> Humiliation, awfulness. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, Kanye recently was quoted by his own wife saying that something doesn't get enough credit. What was it? A, pollinating insects. B, Art Garfunkel. Or see his own wife's boobs. <sighs> oh, you sound you guys sound split. I need you guys to be unified in your murmuring. Yeah. You're <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um do you guys have, have a feeling? Do you know? I'm, my inclination would be C because because Kanye loves yeah. I mean those well, boobs are amazing. What else would they talk about? <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna go with C. And wife. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the quote. Kim told GQ magazine, quote, even though I'm an ass girl, Kanye always says my boobs don't get as much credit as they deserve. Unquote. <laughs> Bill, how did Lindy West do in our quiz? She got two out of three, so she's a winner. Congratulations, yes. <laughs> Lindy West, thank you so much. She's a contributing op-ed writer for the New York Times. She's the author of the show. Lindy West, thank you so much for being on Red Thank you. I'm old enough to have lived through a number of revolutions in pop music, and I pretty much missed all of them while listening to my scratched-up original Broadway cast album of Pippin. What of the... <laughs> One of the things Peter is utterly oblivious to was the rise of the Beastie Boys, the New York-based trio who helped to popularize hip-hop with their albums from the 80s and 90s. So when I talked to Mike D and Ad Rock of the Beastie Boys, the main thing I wanted to know was, what were their parents thinking? And it seemed like your parents, and this was back in the 70s, would basically let you guys do whatever you wanted to do. Like when you were like 14 or 15, your parents were like, yeah, you go see with this Black Flag concert, go ahead, whatever you want. Just be back by morning. <laughs> there wasn't that much of a discussion. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you just left? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's just a different yeah. type of parenting, you know? Yeah. Different yeah, parenting I do not decisions. Think my mom Technique. wanted to know the details. Like if it was a Black Flag show versus like a Bad Brains show versus a Treacherous Three, I don't think she wanted that kind of fine print. Oh, really? <laughs> she, she didn't know. And one of the other things that I, 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 I don't know how to put this, it seemed like you guys constantly had great strokes of luck. For example, you formed a punk band, the Beastie Boys are originally a hardcore band. And you did a you did a song called Cookie Puss, which people were like, "Oh, Cookie Puss!" And British Airways stole it for a commercial, <laughs> and gave you lots of money, which is great. I, for, that that had happened, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, well, that, does that strike you like an amazing stroke of luck? Because then you had money to like you know pay rent and buy that first drum machine. 
Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome to go from zero to uh, we got we got a bunch of money. It was pretty nice. Yeah, I've never had cash like that. Yeah. I was at a friend's house and I heard our song playing from the TV set, and, and was like, it was one of those things that make you go hmm. <laughs> And then, like, I don't know how long after your first hip-hop track, you were opening for Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? So, so you guys were, like, 19. You didn't even have your first album out, and you were opening for Madonna on her first national tour. Well, Madonna, and, and also she went from... All of a sudden, she's blowing up on MTV, and then she becomes the Madonna that is, in terms of just public consciousness, like, the biggest pop star on the planet. She like shot up to the you know, Prince Michael Jackson level. And you were like her opening act when this happened. Well, I don't even know opening act. Like act is the right <laughs> word. Well, what was it then? Spectacle. It was, like, it was kind of like this assault on poor, unsuspecting 12-year-old girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's one of the things I write about is like you guys are on the way up and you keep writing about in your book how you'd show up at this point before License to Ill came out and people would hate you, which is, which is kind of fun for you to write about. Was it fun to live? Kind of. I mean, the, the Madonna tour thing was definitely funny that, you know, children were crying watching us. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting seeing how angry their parents were. One last question about the book. The book has got some amazing stories in it about things you did and things that you saw. Was there anything that was, like, too crazy for you to put in the book? You're like, no, we can't tell people that story? Um, yeah. <laughs> and would you be willing to share it with us? Cause no. Basically, no. no. <laughs> Probably not. Well, Adam and Mike, we are delighted to talk to you, and we have invited you here today to play a game we're calling... Beastie Boys, meet the Yeasty Boys. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. You make beats, but what about people who make bread? That's what we were thinking. We're going to ask you three questions about the Yeasty Boys. Bakers, okay. answer two out of three questions correctly. I know. <laughs> the audience are leaving. <laughs> wow. It's both dumb and on brand, okay? <laughs> answer two out of three questions. You will win a prize for one of our listeners who... Are Adam and Mike of the Beastie Boys playing for? Rudy Riot of Washington, D.C. All right. Here is your first question, and feel free to collaborate, argue whatever you like. Bread is really important to the French, as I'm sure you know, so much so that the French government once did what? A. Created an award called La Croix du Pat, or the Cross of Dough. <laughs> B. Passed a law preventing bakers from taking vacations. Or C. They sentenced certain violent criminals to eating only American bread. <laughs> Definitely A. You're going to go because A. They, yeah, I don't, yeah, first off, it's definitely not B because vacations are essential to French people. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. So you're going to go for the award of the Quad du Pat, the Cross of Dough. Yes. Absolutely. It was actually B, the one about taking <gasps> vacations. Because the problem is, French do love taking vacations, but when the bakers take vacations, nobody else has any bread. So oh, mon dieu! I know! <laughs> so the bakers were not allowed to take vacations, but then they modified the rule. So now the bakers of France can either take vacations in July or August, but that way there will always be some bakers around. They yeah, maybe we need to quite well, You do, you do. All right, <laughs> two more questions. Here we go. 
These days, most people are more excited about baking cakes than bread, making celebrities out of people like Buddy the Cake Boss Velastro. He once tried to get out of a DUI arrest by telling the arresting officer what? A, quote, you see your way to letting me go, there's a soccer tort in it for you, sir. B, quote, I'm sorry. A what? A soccer tort. Soccer you know, tort? The, the Viennese cake. Yes, Adam. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're a good team. That's why they're a good team. <laughs> That's expecting a lot from an arresting officer. I know. Yeah. B, quote, he said, I'm sorry, officer, but do you know what happens if you let fondant overcook? Or C, he said, quote, you can't arrest me. I'm the cake boss. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going with C. Mike, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm with C. I'm, you know, I know I'm going a little lowest common denom, but... Sometimes you just got to go with it. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was, in fact, C. Yeah. <laughs> right. One last question about baking. Nothing is worse than when you're baking cookies at home and you realize you don't have enough eggs. But not to worry. According to something called the Organic Authority, what makes a great egg substitute? Is it A, blood, B, sugar, or C, sex magic? <laughs> That's a good question. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to have to go with the sanitary B. Yeah, B. Yeah, B. I mean, I'd like to say, yeah, yeah, B is going to be the Hold on. Mike, you're, cl you're clearly a culinary expert. Do you really think that the protein of eggs would be sufficiently substituted for by the pure carbohydrates of a, of a table sugar? I, I do not. No. All right. The idea of putting blood. Remember, we're not saying you should do this. We're saying you can do this. I feel like a blood. The blood would be thick enough to replace it. Yeah. yeah. The audience likes blood. They're clapping. All right. All, sign, all signs are pointing to blood here. We're you all ready? but you telling know. you it's blood. You, you just know that answer. So the dude from D.C. should be happy. Yeah. Anyway, it, you're choosing A. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right, of course. That's what <laughs> Bill, how did Adam and Mike do in our quiz? I'd call you a fan of the Beastie Boys, but you're a winner in our book, two out of three. Congratulations. Mike D and Ad Rock are the Beastie Boys. Their new book, The Beastie Boys Book, is out now. It is fantastic, great for fans, or even if you're not. Mike and Adam, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, I talk to Matt Smith from Doctor Who, and somebody else talks to Retta from Parks and Recreation. That's in a minute on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Tapestry Collection by Hilton, an independent group of neighborhood-centric hotels, each with their own vibe. Whether it's the Sound Hotel in the heart of Seattle or the Rose Hotel in Chicago, each location is proudly connected to the local fabric of the community. So whether you decide to take in the modern art exhibits inside the Rose or visit the Space Needle at the Sound, stay in a Tapestry Collection by Hilton Hotel that's as unique as you are. Visit hilton.com slash wait wait. While you're sleeping, a whole bunch of news is happening around the world. Up first is the NPR news podcast that gets you caught up on the big news in a small amount of time. Spend about 10 minutes with Up First on weekday mornings from NPR News. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host, 
at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Now, we are trying to make up for all the lovely summer days we wasted staring at our phones by revisiting some great moments from the recent past, which we were only able to experience the first time because our phones were dead. Barks and Recreation became a cult hit sitcom, and one of its stars, Retta, also became a cult hero to fans of the show. Last year, guest host Helen Hong asked her about her role on the show and her new book. So the title of your book called So Close to Being the Poop, y'all don't even know. Be honest, (laughs) did you call it that just to watch interviewers squirm when they had to say it on the air? A little bit, a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not the one that actually has to say the title, right? P- other people have to say it. Yeah, generally I don't, but I do like saying it. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the most creative uh, any interviewer has, has come up with to say the title? Usually they say, so close to be in the blank, but um, Kelly Ripa said, so close to be in the S. Oh, the S. That Kelly, yeah. she's clever. <laughs> She's a clever girl. Um, now, I, I know your real name is Marietta Sirleaf, which mm-hmm. sounds so noble, I feel like I should bow when I'm saying it. You should. Oh. <laughs> I just did, Marietta Sirleaf. <laughs> now, why do you just go by one name, Retta? Uh, when, I, when I was in college, I, uh, I hooked up with this guy from Georgia, and they pronounce Marietta, Georgia, Mayretta. Oh. And he started calling me Retta as if I allowed it and my friends thought it was hilarious and so they insisted on calling me that no and then so um, <laughs> when I first started doing stand up I was doing an open mic and the MC came out and said who's next I was like me he's like what's your name Marietta Shelley what I was like ugh just Retta and that's how I got Retta for <laughs> what Be- because you didn't have the patience to go over your actual name with them <laughs> No, I was like, if this is too challenging, let's stick to the easy stuff. <laughs> but now you're like a one-namer, which I think is is boss. Yeah, me, Cher, Bono. Yeah. Life. I heard you were about to pursue medicine before moving to L.A. to become a comedian. How did that work? I was, I was pre-med. I was all about the books growing up, and um, I, I was taking a year off after college, which was the first time I ever lived alone. And and so I wanted a break just before I went into medical school. And I used to, and I was living by myself, so my TV was my roommate. And after a while, I'd be like, I can do this. I can do this. What? But I decided that I wanted to have my own sitcom, which is why I started doing stand-up, because I saw that so many sitcoms were headed by stand-up comedians. So I I went into stand-up. Yeah. I'm a stand-up comedian. I still haven't gotten one, so... Oh, awkward. How don't you come from? <laughs> don't you come from an immigrant family, Retta? I do. My parents are Liberian. And how do how does your immigrant myself coming from an immigrant family? When I told them I was going to become a stand-up comedian, they were like, "What?" So how did yours? Because you were actually like on your way to medical school. How did they take that? They were actually pretty good about it. My mother said, you know, you're carrying around your father's last name, which is why I don't use my last name. And (laughs) um, my dad's big thing was like, just get health insurance. He's like, if something something happens to you, we can't take care of you. (laughs) 
Now, um, speaking of your dad's last name, I heard that you're actually the niece of a Liberian former president? Yeah. Um, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was married to my dad's cousin. So you come from not only an immigrant family, but an immigrant family with like, like that was really high up. Yeah, I guess our version of royalty over there, huh? Seriously, it could be because she won a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Yeah, and she met Oprah, homie. What? <laughs> Better than a Nobel Peace Prize. That was even cooler because I got more calls about her being on Oprah than her winning the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> Your biggest role is, uh, was as Donna on Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And are you still... I, can I just tell you, I was a guest star on one episode of Parks and Recreation for literally 42 seconds, and I have had people accost me on the street, so I can't imagine what you must be dealing with having been on, like, a series regular on it the whole show. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's not a day that I walk out of the house and don't hear treat yourself. But it's fine. <laughs> oh, see? We've opened the floodgates here. Exactly. All right. Retta, we have invited you here to play a game we are calling... Good boy. That's a good boy. <laughs> you are currently starring on a show called Good Girls, so naturally yeah. we want to ask you about good boys, as in doggies. Okay. We're talking about doggies. We're going to ask you three questions about dogs who have been very good boys. Get two of them right, and you'll win a prize for one of our listeners. Any voice from our show on their voicemail. Bill, okay. who is Retta playing for? Daniel Imami of Houston, Texas. Retta, are you ready? Yes. Okay, here's your first question. A dog in England has been on a tighter leash since its owner discovered it had been doing what? A, licking all the freshly washed dishes in the house. B, traveling by bus twice a week to a local pub where he was fed sausages. Or C, attempting to mate with the neighbor's cat, which it must be said was a very doggish looking cat. Well, I, I'm gonna go with C. C? Humping on, the other, humping on a cat. Humping on a cat. Yeah? Yeah? Okay, I'm sorry. The answer was B, traveling by bus twice a week to the local pub where he was fed sausages. The funniest part is apparently he he could catch the bus there, but like couldn't catch the bus back. So he always had to be driven home. Hilarious. All right. Retta, here's your next question. It's okay. You have two more guesses left, so... Here's your next question. After being robbed several times, a tire shop in Texas decided to enlist the help of a guard dog. What happened next? A, the owners returned to discover the dog had chewed up every single one of their tires. B, the dog distracted a gang of robbers by humping their legs until the cops came. (laughs) C, the next time thieves broke in, they stole the dog and some more tires. Oh gosh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go with C. The- <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> they actually they stole the guard dog on top of stealing the tires. The thieves must have had treats, or, or he must have flunked guard dog school. All right, Retta, you are doing great. You got one right. Here is your last question. We like to give our dogs what they need 
Which of these was created just for dogs? A, a new dating website called Fetch Me helps your pup find true love by displaying photos and barks of the dogs registered with it. That's brilliant. B, Spotify launched Adoptify, a music service that helps you find a dog that shares your taste in music. Or C, Petco created a new line of dog beds that you can custom order to smell like your dog's favorite butt. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to go with B. Spotify? Yes, yeah. that is correct. Oh. Yes. You can find a dog that loves the kind of weird emo music that you're into. And I say no matter how cute the dog is, if that dog is into Red Hot Chili Peppers, keep it moving, dog. Uh-uh. Bill, how did Retta do? You know, Retta is a winner in yes. our books. Retta. Retta stars in the series Good Girls, which was just renewed for a second season on NBC. Retta, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Homestead Senior Care. Here is Lakeland Hogan, Homestead gerontologist and caregiver advocate, reflecting on the importance of meaningful connections for seniors. We know that connection is so important as we age, and that's really something that we've seen over the last 25 years. You know, it's much more than just providing care. It's building that relationship, helping to truly enhance their lives. To learn more about Homestead Senior Care's mission to enhance the lives of aging adults and their families, go to homeinstead.com. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard, multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, but today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. Then, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com wait. If there was ever an audience to whom I didn't need to explain what Doctor Who is, I am looking at it. <laughs> now, one of the actors who played Doctor Who is Matt Smith, who also plays the young Prince Philip in the hit TV show the Crown. Peter began our interview earlier this year by asking him which show had the most obsessive fans. There's only one winner, yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. Doctor Who fans. Well, you were, yeah. you were uh, as I understand it, the youngest person to take over the role of the Doctor. It was about 2010 when you did that. And, and you're, uh, for people who don't know, the Doctor has been played over the course of 50 years by a bunch of different actors, and there's a conceit that he regenerates, and he, gets, he becomes a different person, obviously. Did, yeah. And, and your, your Doctor seemed to be having a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, he is. He's, you know, he's an alien. But that's what's so great about that, is it gives you carte blanche to be very inventive. Like yeah. most other like characters, if you take Philip, for example, to, to get from A to Z, you've got to go through C, D, you've got to get to F, whatever, but with a doctor, he can just go A, Z, back, you know, and it doesn't really matter. He can skip all the letters of the alphabet. We lost a lot sense. of those letters during the government shutdown. Yeah, Matt. I know. <laughs> yeah. We're kind God, of... the government <laughs> shutdown, I mean, blimey, guys. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to, before you get all high and mighty, your country's about to fall off the edge Listen, of the earth. So. Yeah. 
you, you, know what's, you know what's funny, of course, Matt? If Doctor Who were real, none of this ever would have happened. I know. He would have yeah. popped in. Um, so you, you go from Doctor Who, this incredibly popular pop culture thing, to playing yeah. Prince Philip, who is a very real person. So yeah. ha, did you guys working in the show ever get anything back from the actual royal family about how they felt about how you were depicting them? I think that Philip was asked. If he'd, if he'd watched it and he just turned around and said, don't be ridiculous, which I thought was very good. Yes. Um, so sadly, you've been phased out of the crown because they're aging you out. You're going to be replaced by a, an older actor, Tobias Menzies. Did you argue with him? You say, I can be old and decrepit. No, God, no. It, you know, two years is enough. It'll be wonderful. I'm looking forward to the first season of the next episode when, of course, uh, Prince Philip dies and regenerates as Tobias Menzies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> different yeah, costume. So, and then uh, I just want to talk to you about your latest film, which is Maplethorpe, that's out now, in which you play Robert Maplethorpe. Again, a very real person. He was uh, a f uh, an infamous photographer. Did you decide, like, okay, I'm going to play this this gay, promiscuous guy who did hardcore sort of photography as art. Did you say, like, I will show all the people who love me as Prince Philip and Doctor Who? It was is, like distinctively trying to do something different? No, it wasn't that, that much of a considered choice, really. It was just, you know, the script was around and, and I found him very interesting. I love New York in the 70s and he had a propensity to be quite cruel and quite difficult and I was interested in that. And so, and so after playing a very difficult and, and, and complicated figure like Robert Maplethorpe, you decided to do something light and play Charlie Manson. Yeah. <laughs> Manson is someone I go, I don't really know where his truth lies. And the one thing I sort of took away from him was I just went, he's just really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a delight to talk to you. There are so many things to talk about. We have a game to play, but there is a question, and we ask this, I don't know if you know our show, we ask this of all our guests, it's sort of a tradition, have you ever been stung in the testicles by a wasp? Yes! Oh! <laughs> Finally, we God. got one! Yes! <laughs> Tell us about it! Well, I mean, it's funny that you asked that question, because yes, I have. I mean... <laughs> Briefly, I, I was in a moment of passion in the outdoor arena, as it were. Um, and uh, in said moment of passion and ecstasy and joy and all that sort of stuff, I was stung on the bollocks by a wasp. Yeah. And, and um, I got up and ran around and, and you know, it was, uh, it was both uncomfortable and with hindsight, funny. But at the time, <laughs> I was just afraid. Well, Matt Smith... We're all delighted to talk to you and could all day, but it is time to play a game as we do with everyone. Wonderful. And this time we're calling the game. You don't have to be beautiful to turn me on. So you play uh, Prince Philip in The Crown, but what do you know yeah. about the true prince, Prince? We're going to ask you three questions about the purple one, blessed be he. Get two right and you won our prize for one of our listeners, Bill, who is Matt Smith playing for? Cody Benjamin of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. All right, here we go. Now, Prince was Prince's real name. He was born Prince Rogers Nelson. But when he was very young, he preferred to be called by a nickname. What was it? A, Sex Monster. <laughs> B, Beto. <laughs> or C, Skipper. Beto? Yes. I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B. <laughs> we should have anticipated you being British and not knowing about him. Um, <laughs> no, I'm afraid the answer was Skipper. Prince Skipper. Skipper. Bugger. When he was a child, like, call me Skipper, he'd say. 
Prince uh, got an early break as a musician when he was hired to open for the Rolling Stones at a concert in LA in 1981, but it didn't go well. What happened? A, Mick Jagger looked at him and said, nobody goes on stage who's skinnier than I am. <laughs> B, fans chased him off stage by throwing garbage at him. Or C, Prince announced his set by saying, sorry, but it all goes downhill after I'm finished. <laughs> B. It was B. <laughs> oh. So yes, it was B. They chased him off the stage with garbage and he was very upset, but it was two nights and they said, don't worry about it, that was crazy, we're so sorry, go on to the second night and it will be fine. And he went on the second night and they chased him off the stage with garbage again. But wow. he got his vengeance by becoming amazingly Prince. successful and popular. All right, Yeah. last question. If you get it right, you win. Prince once later in his life gave NBA star Carlos Boozer a check for half a million dollars just to apologize for something that Prince had done to him. What had Prince done? A, he once criticized Boozer's playing style on the basketball court by saying more like Carlos Snoozer. Am I right? <laughs> B, when Prince rented Boozer's home, he turned Boozer's bedroom into a hair salon without asking. Or C, at the 2007 NBA All-Star Weekend, Prince hooked up with Boozer's girlfriend, Boozer's ex-girlfriend, and then Boozer's mom. <laughs> God, I wish, I wish it was C, but it's B. <laughs> it is B, yes. Matt. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Boozer rented Prince his, his L.A. mansion. Prince totally redecorated it, made the bedroom into a hair salon. Boozer's like, what'd you do? Prince said, oh, here, here's half a million dollars. I'm sorry. But then Prince totally redid the house back to the way it was, and Boozer gave the half million back. Bill, how did wow. Matt Smith do in our quiz? He would make Prince Philip proud. He got two out of three, so you're yeah. a winner, Matt. Congratulations, yeah. Matt. Nice. Matt Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you. Wait, wait, thank you. Matt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That's it for our special Cranny and All the Fun in the Limited Time Left edition. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our interns are Panina Beatty and Lila Francis. Our web guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Technical direction is Melona White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis, all of our panelists, all of our special guests. And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal, and we'll see you next week. This is NPR.